All right, how's it going? All right, and how's your weekend? Going well? Okay, good, good. So glad that you're here. Good to be with you, and welcome also to those of you uh, joining us from our campuses as well as Ada Bible Online. Might have some people joining us from the cottage or the campground. So glad that you've taken the time to stay connected with your church. And uh, hey, if you're new to Ada Bible Church, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I get to lead us through the next part of this series, 10 Questions that Jesus asked. And uh, as we begin, I wanna take you back to when I was growing up in the 1990s. Who was there? Okay, there, yup, all right, a few of us lived through that fabulous decade. And uh, I'll tell you this, uh, you could find me at the same place doing the same thing every Sunday at 1 p.m. through the entire NFL football season, and that would be on my couch watching the Detroit Lions because I was a huge Detroit Lions fan in the 90s, mostly because of this guy. Barry Sanders, friends, the greatest running back to ever play the game. You might disagree, but you're respectfully wrong, okay? Barry Sanders was incredible to watch play the game of football. It doesn't matter if you're a football fan or not because this guy could turn a dead-end play into a 50-yard touchdown at any time, and he did it all the time. Loved watching this guy play the game of football. And the Lions in the 90s, just close your eyes and imagine for a second, the Lions were actually good. There was one year they were one game away from the Super Bowl. Oh, man. So Barry Sanders loved watching him play the game. And then just before the 1999 NFL season, Barry unexpectedly walks away from the game. He quits just out of nowhere. And understand, he was still in his prime it's not like he was old and like couldn't really play anymore. No, he was still great. And he was only 1,400 yards. That's like one good season away from breaking Walter Payton's all-time record for rushing yards. And he just walked away. He quit football. And I, along with so many other Lions fans, were crushed. He quit. So I want to talk about quitting today. And I wonder if you've ever quit something. Maybe you quit a job, or perhaps you quit a team. Maybe you quit a relationship. And as I talk about quitting, it's possible that your mind doesn't go to something that you quit, but rather somebody that quit on you. So the conversation today is about quitting. And as we jump into the biblical story we're going to be looking at, uh, this is all part of this series, 10 questions that Jesus asked. We're, we're exploring uh, these different questions that Jesus asked in the gospel accounts. It's kind of crazy. If you add them all up, he asked over 300 questions. And the one that we're going to look at today happens in John's gospel. So if you're new to the Bible... There are these gospels, there's four of them at the beginning of the New Testament, and they're basically biographies of Jesus' life. And this one was written by a guy named John, who was one of Jesus' followers. He was a disciple of Jesus, and the story takes place in John chapter 6. Now, uh, here's a map. 
to kind of let you know where this story takes place. So, you know, this is Israel, and we're in the northern part. You got the Sea of Galilee right there, and there's this town called Capernaum. And if there was a place that was like Jesus' headquarters, it was Capernaum. If he wasn't out on the road with his disciples, he was probably there. And the story specifically takes place at a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, this, uh, this is the ruins, or these are the ruins of a synagogue in Capernaum. A synagogue was kind of like a first century Jewish church, a community center, a place where people gathered, a place where teachers taught, Jesus taught in this synagogue. And what's fascinating about this synagogue here in Capernaum is just underneath this structure is the first century, the ruins of the first century synagogue where Jesus would have actually taught. So it's kind of cool. If you go to Capernaum, you can actually go where Jesus went. But the deal is with this story here in this synagogue is there's this huge crowd of followers that's sort of following Jesus around. They're into Jesus. They're following Jesus. They respect Jesus. They are taking on his teachings. They are his disciples. And they've been following him for a long distance and for a long time. But here in this synagogue, Jesus will deliver a teaching that's so challenging that many of them will quit. Many of Jesus' disciples will go back to their farms, back to their fishing boats, back to their families. They will abandon Jesus. And it's so bad, so many walk away that Jesus turns to his 12, like his core group of disciples, and he asks this question, and this is the question we're gonna be looking at today. You do not wanna leave too, do you? I mean, you can feel the emotion in those words. Are you guys out? Two, everybody is streaming away from Jesus. See, here's the thing about quitting. We've all quit things. You've quit things, I've quit things, but sometimes people quit on Jesus. You know, I was a youth pastor for like 15 years. A lot of those years were here at Ada Bible Church, and there's so many things I loved about that job. But one of the things I hated were the few times when I would find out about a student who graduated out of our ministry that just said something like, yeah, yeah, that stuff about Jesus, about being a Christian, I don't believe any of that anymore. And they walked away from their faith, and it just makes me go like, what? How? Like, like what about all those snow camps, those retreats that we went on? What about your small group, like that leader that invested their life into you. What about that mission trip that we took to the Dominican Republic? What are, you, what are you talking about you don't believe anymore? But sometimes people quit on Jesus. They abandon their faith. And as I tell that story, I would imagine there's people in your life that come to mind. Somebody that you grew up with. You had so many of the same experiences, same church, and yet you are still following Jesus and they've walked away and you're going, how does, how does that happen? And maybe for you, the story is just so much closer to home because it's one of your children that you read Bible stories to at bedtime. And now as they're older, they're deconstructing the faith that you so carefully constructed for them. People walk away from faith in Jesus. And this question that Jesus asks, you don't want to leave too do you? There's not going to be some point out in your future where you walk away from Jesus, is there? 
Jesus has important words for us today about why people quit their faith. He's going to get at the root of why people walk away from Jesus. He's going to have challenging words for us, and I think all of us, by the close of this teaching, as we wrestle with the words of Jesus, will have an important decision to make about our relationship with Jesus. So, just a three-part conversation today. What we want, what Jesus wants, and why we quit. And so, let's jump into this story in Capernaum with part one what we want. This is how John begins this episode. He goes, uh, this is how it begins here. Uh, When they found him on the other side of the lake, we're talking about Capernaum here, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you get here? Now, it's kind of obvious that we're jumping into the middle of a story. There's an ongoing interaction here between this large crowd that I already mentioned and Jesus. And they have followed him from the other side of the lake to Capernaum. And now Jesus responds to them and he says, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you that you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, not because of the miracles, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is talking about an experience, not in Capernaum, but across the lake where they all ate bread. Any any guesses on what story he's talking about? So here's a map. Capernaum's here. We're talking about this region here. It's an event in your Bible that's often called the feeding of the 5,000. Massive crowd is gathered around Jesus. He's teaching them. And then dinner time comes. And instead of sending them home, somebody hands Jesus a couple loaves, a couple fish. He miraculously multiplies them and feeds everybody. And the people are filled. And now, after that event, they follow Jesus across the lake because they want more. It strikes me that... For most of us, a relationship with Jesus, a journey with Jesus, begins, like that crowd, with an experience where Jesus fills us. You had an experience with Jesus that filled you, and now you're coming back for more. I mean, maybe your story is kind of like this. You came to a place where you had arrived, I mean, you had the career, you had the house, you had the car, you had the girl or the guy. You had it all, but yet you felt like you had nothing. It's like I've reached the top and I feel totally empty. And at some point, a friend brought you to church, introduced you to Jesus. You had an experience with Jesus that filled you and you've been coming back ever since. A journey with Jesus often begins with an experience where Jesus fills you. But but perhaps your story is a little different. For you, you reached absolute rock bottom. You had done some things in your life that you lost almost everything. And you had nowhere to go and you felt absolutely empty and you reached out to Jesus and he filled you. And you've been chasing after him ever since. Or perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, but you're here today or you're watching online because you are empty and you're curious about Jesus. Maybe he can fill me. I just believe that a journey with Jesus 
often begins with an experience where Jesus fills us and we come back for more. And that's exactly what this crowd is doing. They're chasing Jesus down. But Jesus wants to call them to something deeper. So look at how he responds to them. He says, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life. He's like, look, I've filled your bellies, but I want to fill you with something so much more. Uh, Food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He's calling them to something deeper. But how the crowd responds to him here is strange. Check this out. It's confusing. They say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And it's kind of like, were we in the same conversation? Like, (laughs) what kind of response is this? So the question is, what's going on here? Why why would they respond in this way? Okay, I want to show you something that might be helpful as you read your Bible on your own, as you study your Bible on your own. And the thing I want to show you is called a footnote. So here uh, is an example from, I think this is Bible Gateway. It would look roughly the same in you version Bible or your physical copy of the Bible. But you have this verse that we're looking at here, and there's a footnote. You see that, the little tiny A? And if you were to click on that on your phone or trace it down to the bottom of the page in your Bible, you would see that the footnote points you to a couple Old Testament passages. The first one is from Exodus. These people are referencing something that happened in Exodus. And if you want to understand this conversation between Jesus and this crowd in Capernaum, you got to think through the lens of Exodus. So, what's Exodus all about? Well, a map will help us out. Exodus is the story of God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt, leading them out into the wilderness and then eventually into the promised land. Now, you probably know this story, right? The people are in slavery. They cry out to God. God raises up a leader named Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says... Let my people go, right? You've seen the movie. And then there's the 10 plagues, and God rescues them out, brings them into the wilderness where they all start complaining. (laughs) Why? Because there's no food in the wilderness. And so God responds by raining down this substance called manna, this white flaky stuff for the people to eat. And so the people here are going, hey, Moses gave us manna. And you're going like, that's a cool story. I'm glad they're talking about Exodus. What does this have to do with Jesus in a synagogue talking with people in Capernaum? Okay, this deal with Moses. There was a prophecy in the Old Testament that the Jewish people of Jesus' time were clinging to. They so desperately wanted to come true, and it had to do with Moses. And if you want to look this up, check out Deuteronomy 18. There's this prophecy that says, I will send you another prophet like Moses. And so here's the deal. The people were expecting and hoping for a second Moses. Why? Because Moses rescued them from slavery in Egypt. The second Moses, they believe, is going to rescue them from slavery to Rome. The first century Jews that Jesus is talking to, they were under the boot of Rome. They were not free, and they wanted to be their own people again. And so the people are going, God, please 
fulfill this prophecy and send us this second Moses to rescue us from Rome. So the connection is this. Jesus just made manna. He's with this crowd and he magically makes a whole bunch of bread and the people are going, he's the dude. He's the second Moses. He's going to lead us to freedom from Rome. And you're going like, that seemed like a lot of connections. I'm not sure I'm buying it. Well, look what they said during this feeding of the 5,000 story. After the people saw the sign multiplying the bread that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They are believing this is the second Moses. And they, they're like, Let's start the revolution. Let's do this. This is our guy. He can make magic bread. He can heal people. He can bring people back from the dead. Like, this is the ultimate military commander. Let's do this thing. So that's what the Jewish people wanted. That's what they wanted from Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you want from Jesus? I mean, they wanted to be rescued from Rome. What do you want I think we all want something from Jesus. And this is important. Maybe what you want is for Jesus to bless something in your life. You, you've got this business that you're trying to get off the ground. You've got this nonprofit that you want to see flourish. You've got this uh, adventure that you're ready to begin and you're just going, Jesus, would you please bless this? It's so important to me. What do you want from Jesus? Maybe you want him to fix something in your life. You just want Jesus to fix your, your health or fix a, a mistake that you made that's causing all kinds of problems. Maybe you want Jesus to fix your marriage, fix your kid. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Maybe you want Jesus to give you something, to provide you something. You're just going, a kid who needs fixing? We, we just want a kid. We just want Jesus to provide a child for us that might someday need fixing. And how is it that we can follow Jesus and be so faithful to Jesus, but he doesn't give us this child that we want so desperately? What is it, what is it that you want? And what if... What if he doesn't give it to you? What if he doesn't bless it? What if he doesn't fix it? What, isn't, what if he doesn't provide? And I think this is really important because I believe that in the space between what we want, that is our expectation and reality, that space between, people walk away from faith in that space. People abandon their faith. They quit on Jesus because of the disappointment that can turn into disillusionment. So what do you want and what are you gonna do if he doesn't give it to you? And you just might be going, I don't think he would do that to me. I just don't believe that Jesus would disappoint me in something that matters so much to me. And the problem is, he disappointed them. He disappointed his own people, the Jewish people. Because this is how this feeding of the 5,000 thing ends. He goes, uh, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, 
He's our guy. Let's start the revolution. Crown him. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He disappears. Jesus just disappears on the crowd. He does not give them what they want. And why doesn't he? Because it's not what he wants. So this brings us to part two of our conversation today. What Jesus wants. He disappoints this crowd, his own people. Why? Because it's not what he wants. Well, what does he want? Let's continue the conversation. It's like part two of the manna and the Moses conversation. We're back in Capernaum now in that synagogue. Jesus says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Look, they got what they wanted and they died. Moses, he didn't fix your real problem. Keeps going. He says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. And you can just feel the crowd going, okay, tell us more. This is what we want. Jesus continues, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you for the life of the world. And this right here, the statement about my flesh is the bread, is really where Jesus begins to lose the crowd. Because what happens next is an argument. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, you can just hear their voices rising. You can see the red coming into their face, fingers pointing and wagging as they begin to argue with each other about the things that Jesus is saying. Because there's just a couple things that they can't handle about what he's saying. First off, they're like, he just said that he's the bread that came down from heaven. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? Like, he's a carpenter, for crying out loud. How can he come from heaven, not buying it? And then this bit about eating his flesh. You just got to remember that these first century Jews, they had about a bazillion rules about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and what was clean and what was unclean. And so if Jesus is saying, look, you just need to eat my flesh, that would have set off about 50 religious red flags for these people. They're just like, we can't, we can't even. But then, just to seal the deal, Jesus says this, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you can almost see Jesus' 12 disciples in the back. Like, they're not, no, they're not following. Abandon ship. But Jesus presses on, you've got you've to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. And the crowd, it just cannot deal. Now, we have an advantage here, because we have the entire New Testament. And we know, uh, just a picture here, something that we celebrated earlier in the service, we know that Jesus gathered his disciples near the end of his life, and he talked about his flesh and his blood. He said, my body will be broken, and my blood will be sp spilled, and he's speaking symbolically about his sacrificial death on a Roman cross. But they had no idea what he was talking about. They were so confused. But what's going on here is that Jesus is challenging their assumptions about who he is and what he came to do. He's going, look, you want me to rescue you from Rome, but I came to rescue you from something so much deeper than that. What I want to do is rescue you from your real problem. 
And this all brings me to this tree that I have in my backyard. Hang with me, this will make sense. I've got this tree, it's young, it's only like two years old, and so it's just growing, but I have high hopes for this tree. I want it to grow tall and strong because it's gonna provide shade for my entire yard and it's gonna be awesome. But there's just one problem. The leaves on this little tree keep turning yellow and orange and falling to the ground. And I'm going like, this is bad. There's a problem with the leaves, okay? So what's up with this tree? Maybe there's like bugs, maybe there's like some kind of uh, you know, worm that's like eating the leaves because they keep falling down. Ah, maybe the leaves aren't getting enough water. Okay, so I'll get a squirt bottle, like a spray bottle, and I'll spray the leaves to make sure that they get enough water. And some of you right now are just going like, I don't think he understands how trees work. Because you're going, look, the leaves are not the problem. It's not that the leaves are dying, it's that the tree is dying. And you're absolutely right, and that, I think, is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. It's like he's saying to these people, this crowd, look, you're asking me to fix a leaf problem, and I came to deal with a tree problem. The problem is in the roots. You want me to rescue you from Rome, but what you need is for me to rescue you from death and sin because you are slaves to death and you're slaves to sin. You ate the manna in the wilderness and what happened? You still died. It didn't solve your root problem. So what does Jesus want? What Jesus wants is to rescue you and to rescue me from our deepest problem, which is you are a slave to death. You are going to die. And Jesus wants to provide a way that you might live after you die. And you are a slave to sin, meaning the things that you do and say and think that go against God's character, things that are destructive. And we are slaves to these things. We are addicts to the things that are wrong. And Jesus wants to break that slavery. And he wants to do it through his sacrificial death on a Roman cross on our behalf, which is why he says these crazy sounding words, you've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. You've got to take the bread and you've got to take the wine. So the question for you is this, how are you going to respond to Jesus and what he wants? And have you trusted in his sacrificial death to rescue you from your deepest problem? your slavery to sin and to death. Have you trusted him in that space? So how are you going to respond to Jesus? Well, how did they respond to Jesus? That's a good question. And it leads us into the third and final part of our conversation today on why we quit. So synagogue in Capernaum, people are flipping because Jesus is talking about how he came down from heaven and now you got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the people are tripping. Look what, look what they say. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It's like he's not going to do what we want. He's not going to rescue us from Rome. And eat his flesh. They, it's, they are flipping out. They, who, who can accept it? And this is what happens. Skipping down to verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
it's not just a crowd. Many of his disciples, people that had gone all in on Jesus, are now all out. Back to their farms, back to their fishing boats, back to their families. Hey, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus the rabbi? Not anymore. No, he's not my rabbi. These people quit on Jesus. They walked away from him, many of his disciples. Why? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Why do people quit Jesus? Why do people walk away from their faith? Sometimes it's because of a hard teaching of Jesus. And I think about some of the hard teachings that Jesus gave. I think about his challenge to forgive the people that wrong you, just as he forgave us. And you know, there's, there's the kind of forgiveness I teach my kids, where it's like, okay, I need you to say sorry to your sister for hitting her, okay? And I need you to say, I need you to say, I forgive you to your sister because she apologized. Okay, there's that kind of forgiveness. And then there's a whole other level of forgiveness where God says, look, I, I need you to forgive your dad who walked out on your family when you were 10 and you really haven't had a relationship with him since. I need, I need you to forgive your dad. I need you to forgive your business partner who betrayed you and it cost you thousands of dollars. I need you to forgive them. I need you to forgive your husband I need you to forgive your wife who cheated on you. I need you to forgive them. Okay, that's different. <laughs> that is a hard teaching. Another hard teaching of Jesus that I think about is just what he taught about sexuality. Because Jesus affirmed what we see in the Garden of Eden, where God created Adam and God created Eve and he gave them the gift of sex exclusively in the context of their married relationship. And what Jesus taught and what his later disciples taught in the New Testament is that any expression of sex, sexuality outside of that is what the Bible calls sin. It's, it's wrong, it goes against God's character. And, and what do you do when that's not a teaching that you want to follow? And what do you do when that's a teaching that goes against how you feel? Friends, that is a hard teaching. I think about something that Jesus said later in John's gospel, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then here comes the hard part, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you just go like, well, time out. What about, what about people who have very genuine faith, very authentic faith, but it's in a different religious system? What about that? And I'm telling you, as I've explored the teachings of Jesus over and over, I do not find in his teachings this idea that sort of all roads lead to the same God and all religions kind of go to the same divine presence. Jesus taught, I am the way alone. Friends, that is a hard teaching. Some of the teachings of Jesus, and that's just a couple of them, are very hard to accept and live out. Now, I just want to pause for a second 
Because I would imagine some of you are going like, okay, uh, I didn't know that, okay? Uh, or I didn't know that that's uh, what Ada Bible Church teaches, and I'm not sure I believe that. Uh, I, my life doesn't reflect that, and so wh what do we do with that? And my response to you would just be, you know, I think the best place to process the hard teachings of Jesus is not this environment, but rather a conversation over coffee, over lunch. And so I would just encourage you, if you're in a space where you're going, I'm not sure I buy that, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that, listen, we would love to have a conversation with you, to have the privilege of processing with you the hard teachings of Jesus and what they mean for our lives. Furthermore, if you're somebody that's just going like, I, I don't currently buy that, and so I'm not sure that this is the right space for me. Let me just say that we are so glad that you're here and we want you to be a part of this community. It's a privilege to be in community with you. And all of us are wrestling with the hard teachings of Jesus in different areas of our lives and trying to figure out how to live them out. And so you are so welcome here. But... <laughs> Some of the teachings of Jesus are hard, and people walk away from faith because of them. And back to our story in Capernaum, people, disciples, are just leaving in droves. And this is where we get that question that Jesus asked that's so full of emotion. He says to the 12, you do not want to leave too, do you? to his core group, the guys he's hand-selected. Are you guys out too? Are you done as well? And the truth is, they, like us, have a choice to make. Will we continue to follow Jesus when it gets really hard? And how Peter... One of Jesus' disciples answers in this moment, I think, are some of, these are some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Look what he says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go, Jesus? I just sense him going like, look, we've tried a lot of life, and it didn't fill us. And that might echo your story. Look, I've tried success. I've tried money. I've tried partying. I've tried adventure. I've tried, you know, partying, whatever. And you're just going, it doesn't fill me up. Only Jesus really fills me up. So where else am I going to go? And that second line about eternal life, I think, is so important. He says, you have the words of eternal life. And he's not just talking about heaven. He's not just talking about, okay, after you die, then you keep living. He's talking about life right now. Deep, rich, meaningful, fulfilling life here and now. He says, Jesus, you have that. And specifically, your words have that. And you know what's part of Jesus' words? His hard teachings. And I think the disciples are going, this is hard we don't fully get this, Jesus. We don't really totally understand where you're going, but we recognize that your words lead to life. And what if 
the hard teachings of Jesus are actually the path to the kind of life that deep down you long for and that you desire at the deepest places of your heart. Because that's what I believe. The hard teachings of Jesus, even though they're so difficult, are actually the path to life. And so essentially what the disciples are saying is, look, we don't totally understand you. We don't exactly know everything that's happening here, but we still trust you. And so we're all in. And Peter closes with these words. He says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I just believe that the more we come to know and experience Jesus, the easier it is to trust him and his hard teachings. I really do think it all comes down to trust. Which brings us back to your friend and mine, Barry Sanders. Now some of you haven't heard really anything I've said between the two pictures about Barry Sanders because the whole time you've been going, but why did he quit? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, it came out later because it was a total mystery at the time, but it came out later through some interviews and through a book that Barry wrote, why he quit football. And you know the reason that he gave? Because the Lions leadership, he didn't believe really wanted to win. They weren't willing to make the hard decisions that were gonna lead to a winning team. And so Barry basically didn't trust the leadership of the team that they were going to lead him and the rest of the players to the kind of life that he wanted, and so he bailed, he quit. And I, I believe that Barry's decision is very similar to our decision. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to this issue of trust. Because Jesus, what he wants is to lead your life, but the question for you is, do you trust him? With the things that you want, do you trust him? If he doesn't give you the things that you want, will you continue to trust him? And with what Jesus wants, have you placed your trust in him and his sacrificial death on your behalf? Do you trust him? What about his hard teachings that are so difficult to wrestle with? Are you willing to trust him in that space, to allow him to lead your life. It all comes down to this issue of trust. And so are you willing, like Peter, to say, we don't fully understand, we don't totally get it, but we still trust you. My hope, my prayer for you this week is that you would take a step of trust toward Jesus and trust him with your life. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close our time in your scriptures today. God, I just recognize that some of the things in your word are just tough. And they just challenge us at a very deep level. Hard to understand, hard to grapple with. And God, I just lift up before you brothers and sisters who are in a place where they're just really struggling with trusting you. God, would you meet them in that space? God, would you meet all of us as we wrestle with your hard teachings? God, we want to trust you, but would you help us to trust you? 
God, we love you and we honor you. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. It is an absolute privilege to open the scriptures with all of you. And looking forward to next week. We'll see you next time.